to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. When I finished last time, I had mentioned that Stephen accepted his death because he knew how to live. He lived for God. And we only know a little bit about Stephen. We don't know much about him. But you know what I was thinking? We don't know a lot about a lot of the saints that have gone before us. We only know the ones that maybe are in our lives or the ones that the scriptures talk about. And hopefully you all know that you don't have to be dead to be a saint. The scripture says that if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're a saint. And a saint simply means someone who is set apart. And you and I, believing in Jesus, we're set apart to bring glory to him and to make his known to others. His name made known to others. Now, one of the things that's happening, if you just flip back a second to the beginning of chapter 7, if you remember, the high priest asked Stephen a very simple question. And that question was, are these things so? And there was a lot of accusations brought against Stephen, false accusations by liars that were found to bring slanderous remarks against Stephen. And what we've been doing the last couple of times is in all the verses that follow after that question, it's one of the greatest and longest sermons or the longest sermon in all of Scripture. And it was just by this guy, we would call him a deacon. He was just waiting on tables. He was just doing his thing. Yet the Lord chose him to come before the council. And I want to emphasize that word chose. He chose Stephen because he was a lover of God and a man full of the Holy Spirit. Hopefully we can say that about ourselves. God has chosen us and we're full of his Holy Spirit. That's a pretty good desire, isn't it? To be a man or woman of God and to be filled with his Holy Spirit. Because anyone, even if they don't know your name, if you're called by God and full of his Holy Spirit, you're going to make an impact on the world just by loving God and being filled with his Spirit. Stephen, in his discourse, in his sermon has shown that you can't box God in. You can't just put him in a temple or in a tabernacle. He doesn't just reside there. You can't box our God in. What kind of God would that be if you could corral him? (laughs) I don't want to serve a God you can corral. I want to serve a God that corrals me. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) Somebody that controls us. Stephen is reminding them of their history. He's reminding them of their tendencies to reject every prophet that God has sent their way. 
he's telling them about how they try to stone Moses, that Isaiah was sawn in two, that they stoned Jeremiah after putting him in dungeons several times, that Zechariah was killed in the temple. These are some of the guys that they killed over the years. Men of God. Some that have books in the Bible named after them. God was always sending people their way, hoping to turn them around. Well, let's jump into chapter 7, beginning with verse 44. And I'm going to read verses 44 to 50 right now. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the patterns that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who he found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things. What I like to do tonight, because this is a Bible study, and I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord, but a Bible study, you know what that is? It's a study of the Bible. So as students of the Bible, it's important that we know what the Bible is saying. So what I like to do is... Um, I'm going to ask you to uh, turn there in a second. But let me just give you right now Hebrews 8, 1 to 6. And what I want to do in the next 5 or 10 minutes is just set the tone of everything that Stephen understood that he was saying to the council. There was about 71 guys or more that he was answering this question that the high priest asked. So there's 71 guys that he's talking to, 71 to 1 are the odds of this one. And here's one guy now giving the longest sermon in the scriptures to these 71 guys. So in Hebrews 8, 1 to 6, it says, and what I'm trying to do right now, everybody, is paint a picture of uh, the tabernacle. Because we see that right at the beginning of verse 44. Is our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. So think right now. And I don't know how many of you know different th- parts or things of the tabernacle. But that's what we want to look at and study a little bit. So in Hebrews chapter 8, uh, verses 1 to 6. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens. And of course, that's talking about Jesus Christ. Verse 2. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not men. I like to read just that part again, that last portion of, well, actually verse 2. A minister of the sanctuary 
and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. Now, a sanctuary is a place that there's worship. A sanctuary is a place, it's a sacred place. It's where God's word is being uh, taught. This is a sanctuary. We're in the sanctuary right now. We had a great time of worship, and now we're sitting at the Lord's feet, reading his word and studying his word. Verse 3, for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. And I want you to catch that. That the tabernacle was a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. It was a glimpse into the heavenlies. And at the end of verse 2 of Hebrews 8, notice it said, The true tabernacle, which the Lord erected, and not men. Okay, it's the Lord that's building the heavenly tabernacle, not men. Okay, but yet men constructed a temple that had a sanctuary, and we're going to look at that a little bit in the, um, the minutes ahead. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, God showed him the pattern for the tabernacle. Verse 6, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises, a better covenant. There was an old covenant, and there was a new covenant. The new covenant being the better one. And we'll look at that in a little bit as we go on here. Verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Okay, so that first covenant, the old covenant, the Old Testament... We wrap up in the law. Follow these laws and you are perfect. Follow these laws and you go to heaven. But there was a problem. The people that lived back then, like us, cannot keep the law. We're breakers of the law, we're criminals, we're sinners. We fall short, right, of God's perfect standards. Men and women always have. Always have. In Hebrews 7, verses 22 to 28. So I went back from Hebrews 8. I went back one to one chapter. Hebrews 7, verses 22 to 28. By so much more... Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. 
underlining so much more. Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Covenant, A sure thing. There was no fault here. There was no way it was relying on men and women to do it. He did it. This is the new covenant, the New Testament. Verse 23, also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. The human priest died. They had their reign and they would die and and they'd be buried. Verse 24, but he, speaking of Jesus again, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Isn't that awesome? Think about what I just read. This was written a long time ago. He's still making intercession for us today. For that newborn baby today. When that newborn baby becomes of the age of reason, Jesus is there to make intercession for him or her. He's made intercession for you or me, regardless of where it was that we came to receive him as our Lord and Savior. Verse 26, for such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Now remember, Stephen isn't reading Hebrews, but he has the knowledge of what's going on, what we're reading in Hebrews, he has that knowledge of what Jesus, who Jesus was, and what Jesus did since he was born, lived, crucified, rose from the dead. Then after that, Stephen becomes a believer in Jesus. And in the Bible studies he went to, the Old Testament which was the only Bible back then, was opened up to Stephen. So God, through his Holy Spirit, just like he does to you and me, enlightened him to the things of God. Showed him the truths of the Old Testament. What all the symbols meant. And as I go on here, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as though those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Now today, there are people who are sincerely And I believe love God. But they are not being taught God's word. I was one of those people. I went to a church where they taught that in that little tabernacle up there, Jesus resided. And we would bow our heads or bow our knee whenever we cross past the tabernacle. They still do that today. 
But see, the great thing about God in that intercession for us, he knows where your heart is and my heart is. He reveals himself to those who are sincerely seeking him, even if they're in a place that they really shouldn't be in. It's not too healthy for them. God's word is not being held above everything else. It's mixed with man-made rules or routines. But God knows our hearts, and we praise him for that, that he's faithful to us, even though our faith might be off kilter a little bit. In verse 28, For the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. So Jesus now comes in place of the law, not to abolish it, but to fulfill it, to fulfill the spirit of the law. What men and women couldn't keep, the law, Jesus fulfilled by going to the cross and dying for the people who couldn't keep the law. That broke the law. So now when we are filled with God's spirit, God's Holy Spirit enables us to live the life that we couldn't under the law. What I'd like you to do now is turn to Hebrews 9, please. Hebrews chapter 9. As we continue... um, thinking about the things that Stephen was saying from his heart and trying to give you a bigger picture before we get back to um, Acts chapter 7. So Hebrews chapter 9, beginning with verse 2, and before I start reading it, there are limitations in the earthly sanctuary. There's a heavenly sanctuary that is erected by God that has no limitations. Death is necessary. And the greatness of Jesus' sacrifice is something that we relish. We cling to his death on the cross. We believe he rose from the dead. This is the tenets, this is the core of our faith, right? That he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the dead. The animal sacrifices in the Old Testament were insufficient. They simply covered sins. They were a shadow of what was going to come one day when the Lamb of God went to the cross. And that's why what I had read in Hebrews, there's no longer a need for any future sacrifices of sin anymore. Jesus doesn't have to die anymore. He doesn't have to be sacrificed over and over and over again. He did it once and for all. It was good enough the first time. It was the perfect sacrifice. It was God God the Father's will that Jesus Christ should die. He set Jesus apart. He sanctified him just like God sanctifies you and me to live a holy life separated from the world. And we live it by faith in the one who died on the cross, rose from the dead, filled us with his spirit and is coming back. So if you follow along with me in Hebrews 9, beginning with verse 2. 
And now we're going to look at the tabernacle a little more, the earthly tabernacle. For a tabernacle was prepared. The first part, in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant, overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, orange rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Those were the Ten Commandments. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. And if this is all something that you're not familiar with, it's a neat study to see what all those different things represent that were in the temple as you entered. And then when you went into the Holy of Holies, which only a priest could do once a year, that he would have to take the blood of an innocent animal, a lamb, and spread it on the mercy seat. And if you ever saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Ark of the Covenant with the cherubim, with the, uh, their wings going this way, and right between there was a mercy seat. They would sprinkle blood. He would sprinkle blood for his sins and the sins of all the people. And that would be done once a year. Verse 6, now when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. Remember, that's that earthly tabernacle. That's important, okay? Verse 9, it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings, and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. Verse 11, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, the law, the breaking of the law, the Ten Commandments, that those who are called may receive the promise of the internal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. 
The testator is a person who has made a will. Verse 17, for a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses has spoken every precept to all the peoples according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Verse 23. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as a high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the end of the ages, He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Now we can go back to Acts chapter 7, picking up with verse 51. So Stephen, for almost 50 verses, has answered that question. Stephen had a knowledge of the scriptures. He was a student of those things that I just read to you. That there's only one perfect sacrifice. And that was what Jesus did on the cross within the last couple months here. In the story that we're reading. It's fresh in everybody's mind. And the religious leaders, remember, as as Stephen's going to show here, is going to get that one guy telling the truth again, just like all the prophets who went before him told the truth. They weren't there to impress the religious leaders or the political leaders. They just honored God. Stephen just honored God. He honored God by waiting on tables. He honored God when he was pulled before the religious leaders and asked a question. He told the truth and he gave a great Bible study. So the religious leaders go back now. They're in a room, right? They're in the the temple, stone, probably a beautiful building. And Stephen is throwing all this at them. And you can... Almost here, their blood boiling. As Stephen is going one after another after another of the things that had already taken part in history. 
and how they didn't see all the different people God sent to the nation Israel to get their attention. So as we look into verse 51, he's not going to be politically correct right now. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Wow. Talk about a left and a right and an uppercut. In just those few verses, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Now, if you were with us in the other parts of Acts, there are some of the priests who have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus through the things that have taken place with Peter and the man on the steps and with the uh, Pentecost and 3,000 people were saved. So we've seen salvation going here. Well, God is not through yet. He's still working today, amen? He's working back here still with the Sanhedrin and the religious rulers. He's trying to get at their heart. But notice here, you can resist the Holy Spirit. May we never be in that position, right? That we resist what God is trying to show us through his word, through other people who are following his word, who are plugged in. Lord, soften our hearts, all of us here tonight, that we may never resist you and your spirit that we would always be sensitive and tender and open to the things of God. That is so important. In Acts 2, verses 37 to 39 that we saw a couple months ago, there was also a cutting to the heart. But notice uh, here in verse 54, The reaction of these 71 plus, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. In Acts 2, verses 37 to 39, they were also cut to the heart. But look at the difference here in chapter 2. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Wow. They didn't resist the Holy Spirit. They were softened by the Spirit and they came to the saving knowledge of God. But yet here we see they were cut to the heart. They were upset. They were gnashing teeth. They were snarling. They were, you know, just so angry at what Stephen just shared. Before I finish tonight, I just want to read one more section from Luke chapter 13, verses 22 to 30. And this is speaking about Jesus. And he went through the cities and the villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And Jesus said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, but he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are those who will be first, and there are those first who will be last. And I was just thinking, some of the religious leaders who were in that room with Stephen also heard Jesus speak. They heard about this teaching from Luke. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. There was never a repentance like there was in chapter 2. But the great thing about our God, especially for us here, if you have unsaved loved ones, is that it's never too late until they take their last breath and go into eternity. And I know like... With my own daughter, I pray that every day that she would come to the saving knowledge of God. And as long as she has another breath, that is a prayer. I'm waiting for that miracle. But God doesn't give up on people, whether they're the religious leaders or regular people with no names in society. They're just people, regular people like you and me. But God is after our hearts. He wants us to bow down before him in our hearts, to just submit before him. And Stephen, that first martyr, was such a man, was such a person. In the, in the verses I just read where they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed at him with their teeth. But notice what happens next in verse 55. But he, referring to Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen didn't look at what was going on around him. He wasn't caught up in the anger. 
He wasn't caught up in the division that was in that room. His gaze was heavenly. And as a a result of Stephen's heart being heavenly, God revealed himself to him in a very special way. That Luke, the author of this book of Acts, writes down. Luke, a doctor who's so um, detailed, writes it down. That here was Stephen, and I think of Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 to 3, where it says, Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This was Stephen, wasn't it? Wasn't that him? He had his mind set on things above, not on the things of the earth. So he could, diff- he could separate himself from the, that angry mob in that religious facility. So what now is a reaction? Well, one of the things we see with Stephen is his purity of heart. He had a pure heart. And it says in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And here's a man about to be stoned with a pure heart. He wasn't caught up in the circumstances. And I just think about myself, of what's going on in this world, all the craziness, and how it's easy for me as a believer in Jesus to get caught up in that angry mob that's out there. And I need to look heavenward. I need to have a pure heart. I need God to do a work in my heart so I see the things that are above and not the things that are on this world, in this world. Verse 57. Now we see the reaction of these religious leaders. Then they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They didn't want to hear anymore. And they ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, Do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. We see the mob. We see them attacking Stephen, bringing him out of the the temple to the city wall, casting him down 15, 20, 25 feet, and then stoning him. Before we go and close tonight, I want to bring you back into the temple. Let's pretend this is the temple. And you're Stephen. And you're giving your testimony. You're you're giving everything that we've studied to the religious leaders. You see their anger. Yet he looked up. When I look up right now, I see the ceiling. And I'm sure right in, in the temple, there was, it was a stone ceiling. 
But yet God gave him eyes to see beyond the physical. He not only saw Jesus, he not only saw him, but he saw him standing. He saw him standing. Most of the time we see Jesus, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Here he's standing. He's ready to receive his son, Stephen. Think of the comfort, the joy, the pumpness of Stephen seeing Jesus, even though what was about to take place. So the stones. They rip him out of the temple. They throw him down. The stones are coming, barraging him. And what does Stephen do? We see his heart by his reaction to what's going on. He was calling on God. In the moment, probably the toughest moment of his life, he was calling on God. That's a good thing for us to do, right? Call on God. And he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So how can a guy that's being stoned ask God to forgive those who are stoning him? And I was thinking when he saw Jesus, He saw the resurrected Jesus. He probably saw the wounds, the nail marks. He realized that what he was seeing was his Savior who had died for his sins, Stephen's sins. And how depraved and full of guilt Stephen was for the life that he lived before Christ. And he knew that all were sinners that fell short of God's glory. Everybody. And he asked Jesus, don't hold this sin against them. Because like me, they need you. Reveal yourself to them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. In Acts chapter 7, I'm sorry, in Luke 23, 34, it says, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, For they do not know what they do. In Acts chapter 7 verse 2. When the high priest asked Stephen. Are these things so? Stephen started talking about the king of glory. It says it right there. He started talking about the king of glory. By the end of the sermon. He saw. The glory of God. He experienced God's glory. John Corson, who's a pastor on the West Coast, says, when you tell others about how wonderful Jesus is, you'll be in wonder of Jesus. When you tell others of the God of grace, you'll receive the grace of God. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. 
and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.